as we turn to the Scripture tonight, that you are going to help us to understand what we're reading, that you are going to help us to apply it to our lives, that it will be life to our bodies, to our spirits. I thank you for that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right. Let's see if we are up and running. Okay. So welcome to City Bible Church. We're here to be helping people connect with Jesus, grow in faith, and share His love. Are you ready to grow a little bit tonight? Right? Good. I'm glad a few of you are breathing. Uh, when we start tonight, I'm going to start with reading some excerpts from the beginning of the Bible, from Genesis 1. You don't have to turn there. We will be going soon after to Romans chapter 3. But I want to um, talk a little bit tonight um, on the subject of saved on purpose. Saved on purpose. God saved you because He loves you. I don't know if you've noticed me saying that from time to time recently. You're trying to work that into your system a little bit. God saved you because He loves you. Can we, can we just say that together tonight? Let's get that into our system a little bit. God saved you because He loves you. Let's say it with a me, make it a little bit more personable. God saved me because He loves me. One more time, God saved me because He loves me. Now, I believe that God saved you because He loves you. And I believe that His love gives purpose. His love gives purpose. God saved you on purpose. We have to start with some simple questions. And I want to help you tonight. I want you to, maybe you can try to switch on both sides of your brain tonight. One side to receive some gospel truth and grow in your receiving of God's forgiveness of love. But a second side to prepare your brain and your heart for sharing the love of Jesus with others. Am I making any sense? Okay. But turn on your servant brain and your leader brain. All right. Now, there's four very basic questions that I think we've got to ask if we're going to break down what is it that the God of the Bible through these 66 books is trying to communicate to us? How do I simplify? Where did we come from? Why did things go so wrong? What will put things right? And how can I be put right? Where did we come from? Why did things go so wrong? What will put things right? And how can I be put right? Do you think those are good questions? All right, I did too. Let's go to the beginning of the story. And what I'd like to do is to read to us some excerpts from Genesis 1 and 2 on the screen for your benefit. In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. God created human beings in His own image. Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. The Lord placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, You may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, some of you have already read the rest of the story. What does God do? God creates 
the world. He says, let there be light, and there is light. He creates, he carves the, the peak of the mountains. He carves the deep of the ocean. He creates vegetation and, and all the beauty and the splendor of the world. And then he creates human beings. He sets them in a garden. He gives them freedom and choice. He's literally saying, you can do anything but this one thing. Did you catch that? You can do anything but this one thing. The devil comes along and begins to tempt them. He begins to tempt them by, as he often does, perverting or twisting the words of God, overstating the prohibition and overstating the consequences, or understating the consequences of what they might do. So, what happens? They choose to do the one thing he asked them not to do. And then in their sin, when we make mistakes, when we don't do the good that we should do, when we do the bad that we should not do, what comes? It feels good, and then it feels bad. You know, that's a, that's a real simple way to know sin, especially when we're in our state where we haven't calloused our conscience yet. It feels good, and then it feels bad. And then what do we want to do? We feel shame, we feel guilt, we want to hide. And when you read the rest of the story, that's what Adam and Eve did. They went and hid. And what did God do? God came down in the cool of the evening, and as was his custom, to walk and to talk with Adam and Eve. And they were hiding. And what did he do? He knew where they were. He graciously called to them gave them an opportunity to confess their wrong, and then he paid the price for their sin with shed blood, killing an animal, using the skin to cover their nakedness, to cover their shame. We choose selfishness. We hide. God comes to restore us. Now let's go to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, I'm going to Read verses 23 through 25, and then 27 through 28 and 31. Romans 3, 23. It's on the screen as well. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God freely and graciously declares that we are righteous. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sin. God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. Here we have it in the nutshell. God, our sin, paying life for everyone. The gospel, God, our sin, pain, everyone life. Through Jesus, through the sacrifice of Jesus, 100% God, 100% human, tempted in every way that we were, and yet without sin, the only one who could come and pay the price so that the guilt of our sin could be removed. He pays the price. We are made clean. 
This means that we can be clean. We can have new life. We're His creation. We're His child. We're created by design and with purpose. I want you to notice these words. Can we boast then that we have done anything to be accepted by God? No! Because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law. It is based on faith. So we are made right with God through faith and not by obeying the law. Well then, if we emphasize faith, does this mean that we can forget about the law? Of course not. In fact, only when we have faith do we truly fulfill the law. Now, Paul can be a little bit complicated, even under the Holy Spirit's inspiration. And so let me break it down for you just a little bit by giving you an example with these three aisles down the sanctuary of three different ways that we could relate to God. Okay? So God, through His Son, Jesus Christ, paid the price that we can be forgiven of sins, giving us grace, the good that we do not deserve, and mercy, not punishing us the way we do deserve. Are you with me? So the right way to respond to God is by faith through grace. We're going to call this the gospel aisle. Everybody's, yeah, you feel good? You're in, you're, I'm in the right place. I'm sitting in the right place. This is the gospel aisle. I relate to God by grace through faith. Now, I can miss out on a healthy relationship with God by two ways. One is legalism. Some of us grew up in these churches. Legalism is where I relate to God based on my actions. Okay? God, I come to you because I'm not as bad as they are. God, I come to you because I'm all right. I haven't killed anyone today. I'm not Adolf Hitler. I mean, I'm no Mother Teresa. But, you know, I'm not not Hitler. I haven't done... Right? And what's the problem with this road? Because if we're honest, this road is tempting and we all kind of start to fall into this road when? When we're doing good. Right? And then what happens? I'm doing good, so I come to church. I'm doing good, so I go to Bible study. I'm doing good, so I talk to my coworkers about Jesus. I'm doing good, so I pick up my Bible. And then what happens when we do bad? I'm not relating to God anymore. I feel like I'm far from God. See, when legalism creeps into my relationship with God, when I know that I'm not doing good, I won't come to Him. What do I do? I'm just like Adam and Eve. I go and I hide. And what does God do? He comes looking. He comes looking because He's already paid the price. Jesus paid the price that the guilt of my sin would be removed. And so I don't need to relate to God through legalism, through only when I I feel like I'm good enough. 
But instead, by grace through faith, I relate to God on the gospel road. Not because of how I am doing today. Not because of how my week was. Not because I didn't cuss out my coworker this week. But because He is good. Not because I am good, but because He is good. See, what happens, let's go back to your leading people to Jesus brain. If legalism has crept into your system, people can smell it. They smell it. If you feel like you are a good person because of what you do or do not do. Is this too deep for a Sunday night on Labor Day weekend? (laughs) Forgive me. Love me later. You're Christian. You have to. All right. So I can miss out on a healthy relationship with Jesus. Through legalism. And how do you think Father God feels when He paid the price for us to relate to Him through grace? Now, what's another way? Well, I could say, hey, God forgave me. I go to that church that meets in the movie theater, meets in, you know, where the pastor wears jeans. And so, it doesn't matter what the law says. It doesn't matter what the Bible says I should or should not do. I don't need to pick up the book. I don't need to know about holiness, about humility, about graciousness, about hospitality, which means when you host people that don't know Jesus, people that you don't necessarily like. I don't need to do any of that. It's relativism. And we got some of that in our culture today too, right? I don't need to pursue learning and understanding how God wants me to live. Now I'm just cut loose. I'm footloose, fancy free. I can go live my life on the slippery road of greasy grace. Now I know that Sometimes the way I preach leads some of you to believe that we might be one of these hyper-grace churches. But I've got to tell you, I cannot ignore the Scripture. I cannot ignore our God. And if I relate to God by I'm out living my life, making my decisions about how I spend my money, where I live, what I drive and where I work, how I talk, how I walk, what my entertainment is, how much I eat, what I'm doing with my body, how I relate to my loved ones. If all of my decisions are really based on what makes me happy, I am not relating to God through grace. I'm relating to God to please myself, which is immaturity. It's baby Christian. We all start there but it's very selfish, it's very carnal, and then like Pastor Paul had to write to one of his congregations, a pastor's got to come alongside of you and said, oh, that I could move beyond the milk of the basics and give you the steak. Hey, it's Labor Day weekend, steak. Oh, that I could give you the steak, but I can't because you're still over here. I love you guys. By comparison, which we don't do, but by comparison, for our age and our size of church, we do more to physically serve the needs of the city. We do more to give money to serve the needs of the city, more to missionaries. We are a more active, Jesus-representing church than most. And I love, and I was with one of the congregations this morning, I love them, they're wonderful, they're good, but we are a mature congregation by the biblical definitions. And yet, we cannot, if people that don't believe in Jesus 
see this in your life, they will smell it. Because then Jesus is not my Lord. He paid the price for me. He, oh yeah, he paid my debt so I can go to please myself. I said to myself, self, what do you want to do today? This relativism, or some people call moralism, because what you can also do is take a few scriptures from the Bible that you like, get them in your system, and say, well, if I don't do this and I do this, then I'm pretty good, and so I'm living because I'm a moral person. I'm not relating to God by trying to prove my salvation, but I'm like, I got enough in my system. Sister so-and-so said this, and deacon so-and-so said that, so I'm good, I'm straight, and so, but now I can really just live my life however the heck I want to. Well, that's not relating to God through Jesus because Jesus is not really my Lord. Are you with me? That's heavy, right? But it's in here, right? Well, then if we emphasize faith, does this mean that we can forget about the law? Of course not. In fact, only when we have faith do we truly fulfill the law. I love Jesus. Don't you love Jesus? What are we supposed to do? Based on faith. By His grace, I relate to God. Right? So, how you might... Like the people in Acts 2 say to Peter, what then shall we do? How then shall we be saved? What hope is there for me? Right? I mean, I've felt that way. Have you ever felt that way? What hope then is there for me? A sinner. To reach a gracious God. And what hope is there for this world? I'm so glad you asked. What should we do? Well, Jesus, on the screen what you see, the, what the description we have is that everywhere that Jesus went, he was preaching this message. And that's what it says right before this phrase in Matthew chapter 4. Repent of your sins and turn to God. What Jesus taught when he spoke was there's new life, there's forgiveness, there's, you can be made clean, you can have a fresh start, but not a fresh start in your strength, a fresh start with the life of God. And what he told us to do was repent. That simple word means I was going my own way, pleasing myself, and now I turn to repent. I turn from pursuing my own satisfaction, and I live for him. Repent of your sins and turn to God. Peter's response to those that ask the question, Acts 2, 38, repent, be baptized, receive the Holy Spirit. That's why we do had water baptisms not long ago. Receive the Holy Spirit. We believe that God the Holy Spirit is alive on this earth today and active and is who is relating to you when you hear the voice of God, when you interact with God, when you feel His peace, when the words of Scripture jump off the page at you. That's not Jesus. It's not Father God. It's God the Holy Spirit by Jesus' own definition of how that works. 
God the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit. Interact with Him. Jesus makes this turn. And this is, I've been doing kind of all this work to come to this point. Jesus calls us to action. And here's something that I want you to understand. Because it's really easy to miss God that way or that way. But it's also really easy to access Him the right way. And when I read the Scripture, what I discover is that Jesus cares more about what's going on in our heart than what's going on on the outside. You know, I wear my Ravens jersey next Sunday. Some people are going to come in for the first time. Well, that's weird. Because they're looking at the outside. What's going on on the inside of you and how you relate to God is what matters. And what's amazing about what Jesus says is that our motives matter. We are called to live our life as a love response to Him. Imagine you are up to your eyeballs in debt. I mean like crazy debt. And all of a sudden, someone pays all your debt. It's gone. Somebody pays all of your debt. Gone forever. How would you feel? <laughs> Woo! How might you respond to that person? Respect? Little joy, little happiness. You're trying to figure out if you should hug them, high five them, tickle them, like, ah, I'm gonna kiss you. <laughs> Somebody pays all your debt. There's some joy. There's a love response that comes. Now I want to use Jesus' words. What is the greater miracle? That Jesus would pay your financial debt or save your soul? All of my life, all of my life is not to be lived based on what other people think about me. Not to be lived about how I feel about myself. All of my life is meant to be lived as a love response to Jesus. An attitude of gratitude. A thank you. And no matter what it is, whether it's Jimmy leading us in worship tonight or Rebecca leading us in communion or my role in this church or whatever your role is on the job, teaching and helping and in the healthcare profession, no matter what it is, your motive matters. You can do anything, whatever the job is, as a thank you to God. Do you know that when you go to punch the clock at work, or don't punch your boss, punch the clock, you don't need to do the job for them. Have you ever thought about this? That's a little weird, but think about this. The quality of your work can be a thank you to God. 
God gave Adam and Eve work, vocation, before the curse of sin. Everyone in this room is created with design, with purpose, to do stuff. And do you know that when you do stuff, whether you're digging a ditch, washing dishes, or teaching in a school, or you're a firefighter, that there is intrinsic value in your work, because God created you to do stuff. Now, when this changed in my life, when this clicked for me, is when I went from being a mediocre employee to being a person that received promotion and every other job after that. It's my story. Because there was a moment in my life when I realized, I don't work for him. I work for him. With an attitude of gratitude. Now, I live a life on mission. What's our mission? Thank you, Daniel, for asking me that question. What is our mission? Jesus gave us a mission. It's on the screen. When Jesus was asked what's the most important verse in all of the scripture, this is what Jesus' response was. Love God with all you've got and love your neighbor the same way you take care of yourself. He didn't say, love your white neighbor. He d- Some of you love your white neighbors more than your other ones. uh, He didn't say, love the neighbor that smells good. Love the neighbor that's nice to you. He just said, love your neighbor. The same way you love yourself. Love God with all you've got and love your neighbor the same way you love yourself. Now, with an attitude of gratitude. Now with some joy. Now with some pep in my step. Now because you know what? It doesn't matter if I live a long, slow, miserable life and die miserable by myself. It doesn't matter. I will be in heaven! I can still have an attitude of gratitude. Because I don't have to look at my past. I'm clean. I've been forgiven. The price of my sins have been paid. How God, how, somebody had to ask me one day, Ben, how good does God have to be for you to be happy? God has already done his best stuff for me. My reasonable response is to live my life with an attitude of gratitude and to live a life on mission. Because God, I love you as you first loved me. And so because God, I love you, I'm not going to just do whatever I want to do. God, I want to know what is it that you want me to do. And now I'm going to start to seek I'm going to start to dig in the scripture. I'm going to start to seek counsel. I'm going to start to search. What is it that God has designed me for? What is it that God has purposed me to do? Let's go a little further. Jesus says, after having said a lot of things about following him, Matthew 28 on the screen, urge others to become followers of Jesus in the way. I find that when I ask more people if they want to follow Jesus, that more people follow Jesus. And I have to ask myself on a regular basis, if God answered every one of my prayer requests this week, who would have come to faith in Jesus? 
you've been given an opportunity to run the race of your life. Your sins paid for. Your future secured. Clean. New life. Not out of your own strength. No, no, no. Out of His strength. With a love response, with an attitude of gratitude, you've been given a mission. And your mission is not to please yourself with Netflix therapy. Your, it, a little bit of that is okay. It's not to please yourself as the ultimate mission of your life. Because some of us, we, we do need a little bit of soul therapy so we're not so grouchy so that we can actually represent Jesus. But I should have a mission in my life to urge others to become followers of Jesus. I've got news for you. This church will grow when a spirit of prayer increases and more of us get this concept and start to live it. And it will not until that time. I've been given a mission by Jesus. It's better than the Blue bro- Blues Brothers the mission from God. I've been given a mission from Jesus to urge others to become followers of Him in the way. Now, how did His followers respond? What did they do? Acts chapter 2, this is what they did. They devoted themselves to the teaching. They devoted themselves. They studied it. They read it. They considered it. They asked questions. They lived it. They fellowshiped. They loved on each other. They threw parties. They ate together a lot. Eating is good. They ate together. They threw parties. They they shared in meals, providing meals for people that needed food. They prayed. Prayer is for everyone. And they went about work. They worked together strategically. That's a really important one. Did you catch that? They worked together strategically. As we follow the story through the book of Acts and the epistles that are in the scripture, what we see is many stories where the believers came together. Do you know that most of the believers that turned this world upside down with Jesus' help were people that worked normal jobs and just loved Jesus and gave their nickels and pennies? It's a true story. And then what they did was they worked together strategically to meet needs. I've got more news about exciting stuff that we're going to be doing very soon that you're going to love. This is a part of what we do. We're a part of a network of churches. We network with other churches that are in Baltimore. Um, this weekend, um, somebody already messaged me earlier today. They saw me on the news um, on Saturday. I don't know if any, I mean, I don't watch TV news, so I, I no, no blame if you didn't see me. But um, there was a 10-year-old that was shot, that was caught up in a triple shooting. Did you hear about that? And so I believe in more prayer, not less prayer. So I went to pray. And the mayor was there, and there was a press thing there. But we were there praying together. Community leaders, neighbors, and some pastors. It was a beautiful time, really. And there I met a pastor of another church that is actually kind of the fill-in person because they've just had the pastor run off with the money and they're really hurting. Just messed up situation. And so I went this morning to love on them and encourage them and pray for them because I didn't have anywhere to be. We as a church are connected with the churches of Baltimore City because it's the kingdom of God. 
And so we work together strategically. And so we support Manor House Feeding the Homeless. We support Center for Urban Families, helping felons get jobs and men learn how to be fathers. We support Mother's Cry in the ministry to the mothers of murder victims. Do you know that some of what we do as a church is not possible if you aren't already being the church? We work together strategically. They would worship together in big groups, as you see on the screen, and they would eat together in homes where they would pray and dig into the Scriptures and get closer to God. So they would gather, and then they would scatter. They would meet in big groups and small groups. We evaluate everything that we do in this church with this simple phrase that's on the screen. We are here to be helping people connect with Jesus, grow in faith, and share His love. I want to encourage you tonight. God loves you. He saved you because He loves you. And His love gives you purpose. You have a choice tonight. If you're going to walk out of here tonight living your life on purpose, are you going to respond with an attitude of gratitude, loving God, ready to submit to His plan? Relating to Him through grace and faith. On mission. Submitting to His mission. Because He is your Lord. God has given us a purpose in this city. And Pastor Manny was here a couple weeks. He quoted Jeremiah. How many of you were here that night? He quoted Jeremiah and he, he, he really prophetically ministered to us that God was calling us for the sake of the... As the, the passage from Jeremiah goes like this, as goes the peace of your city, so it will be with you. So set your roots down. Build houses. Build a life in this city. It was the passage from Jeremiah that he quoted to us. And that is a direct quote from words that Rebecca and I had before we even moved here that this church is called to be. We are called to be a group of believers living together on purpose, setting our roots down, loving the city, and making a difference. Are you with me? Because Romans 5.8, while you were still a sinner, Christ died. He gave you his best in that moment. So this is what I see for us as a church. How does, this, how does that work? Helping people connect, grow. How does that work? Well, guess what? Here's, here's how it works. We connect by gathering on weekends for worship. You're here. Ta-da! Right. To receive and to respond to His love. We grow by meeting in small groups for prayer, learning, and sharing life. We share by living like Jesus and sharing His love every day, everywhere. We live like Jesus and share His love. We're called, we as a group, are called to reach as many people as possible. As many as possible. And that's not going to happen through artificial means through us throwing crazy events, and through it being me that reaches them. No, God has given you a mission. God has given you His love and an opportunity with an attitude of gratitude to live on purpose. And here's what I see will happen as a result. I see a church, and I've seen this already, and I believe we will see it again this fall. Loving Jesus 
in a way that people talk about. I see a church where people find salvation and healing in Jesus. I see a church helping people find careers and peaceful homes. I see a church where everyone can find a place they fit. I see a church serving the city with love that works. Isn't that good? Are you ready to be a part of that? Listen, it's not up to you by yourself. God's not asking you to do it by yourself. And certainly not in your own strength. It is God who gives us strength. It is God who gives us purpose. I'm not here to tell you what your purpose is in your life. But I am here to help you discover what God says it is. Does that sound good? And then they help put tools in your hands so you know how to do it. God wants you. Moving with purpose. Have a new life in Jesus. Love gives us purpose. A beautiful thing about it is that God doesn't ask us to walk alone. I mean, look around this room. Look around this room. Some of you are not looking. Look around this room. God has given you some really amazing friends. You're not alone. You're not alone. God's got this. You are not alone. You can live your life on purpose with an attitude of gratitude. I can't outline it in more detailed ways here and now because of the amazing variety of people that are in this room. Rebecca and I really want to help you discover who God's created you to be. Will you stand with me? Let's close in prayer.